Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll read the first five verses. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Father, I thank you for this night. I do pray tonight that we can separate ourselves from our lives and from the thoughts that are in our our minds And that tonight we can gather around and think about your holiness. It is your holiness that separates you really from all the other false gods of this world. That you are absolutely pure. You are absolutely perfect. Father, tonight as we come, may we catch Isaiah's vision here. May we see what the prophet saw. May we understand how holy you are. Father, I pray that you'll help us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is God's holiness? If I were to ask you tonight to define it, what would you say? Well, God's holiness is uh, Him not sinning, okay? Uh, Perhaps tonight you would say God's holiness is a perfection, okay? Uh, Perhaps you would say God's holiness is His attribute, okay? But what is... The holiness of God. Where in the scriptures do we go to find out how holy He is and who exactly our God is? It is His holiness, as I was saying during the prayer, that separates Him. It is His perfection in that. And so over the next four Sundays, I'd like to look at on our Sunday evening services, uh, this biblical concept of God and His holiness. What it really means for us. And ultimately, we'll see throughout this series or these messages, the impact that it has on our walk with God. Your walk with God will be impacted by how holy you think Him to be. You know, what happens so often is we put God in a little box. We put God in the minds of our, in our minds and, and we rationalize how He ought to think based upon how I think. And what we do is we cheapen the holiness of God. And Isaiah here is talking about God's holiness. And literally his response is found in verse 5. Then said I, woe is me. Uh, You can kind of see him buckling at the knees and and falling to the ground and and covering his face and and literally saying with a crying voice, (laughs) I'm not worthy. And yet so many of us casually approach God with all of our sins, asking and desiring Him to work in our lives while we still maintain sin. We can't expect that. Isaiah here said, listen, woe is me. There's a problem on my part. Uh, There's a problem with me. Uh, There is an insignificance uh, uh, about me. There is a lacking in my nature that I am undone. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I heard of a little seven-year-old boy once who excitedly told his mother that he had just measured himself and he was six feet tall. By the way, I've heard of some, you know, these children that are growing too much. but, But this little kid came to his mama and said, Mommy, I'm six feet tall. Mom was obviously a little skeptical because she herself wasn't six feet tall and he wasn't quite her height. So she asked uh, him to measure himself again while she watched. 
She discovered the problem quickly when the boy took out not a 12-inch ruler, but a 6-inch ruler. He had calculated well uh, that, in fact, it was six rulers high that he was. But he was wrong in his ultimate calculations. He wasn't six feet tall. He was only three feet tall. You know, sometimes I think when we consider the holiness of God, we think we measure up pretty well, don't we? Well, I'm all right. I haven't killed anybody this week. That makes me pretty holy. I didn't watch all that garbage on TV that I used to watch. That makes me pretty holy. And my desire in this message series, and and by the way, it can become very quickly one that is very condemning, even for your pastor as I've been studying it. Uh, But my desire is not to browbeat us, but my desire is that we might truly capture a picture of God in His holiness. And who God is. Because when we get a right picture of God, and we then have a proper understanding of who we are, it will surely motivate us to serve Him that much more. Tonight, let us consider our holy God. First, considering the position of God's holiness. Consider with me the position of God's holiness. Uh, Isaiah here really gets a, a very good picture of God. He understands clearly the position of God in His holiness. He said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. So letter A, the position of God's holiness is it is above our own. His holiness is clearly, according to the Scriptures, above our holiness. By the way, in the times of the writers of the Old Testament here, Isaiah in particular, the position of king was unmatched. And literally, the position of king, particularly as Isaiah is writing and the captivity is getting ready to take place, uh, there is a a sense, a real genuine sense, that the king is unapproachable. In fact, it's not far uh, after this that Esther is the queen. And Esther, as she is the queen there, and she is dealing with, after this captivity that that takes place during Isaiah's writing, when Esther is the queen, we all know the story of Esther, Right? Uh, Mordecai and Haman that are there, Uncle Mordecai comes to Esther and he says to Esther, Listen, you've been put here for such a time as this. You have been placed here for a reason. God has used you. By the way, it's very interesting when you read Esther. Did you know that nowhere in the book of Esther is the name God ever used? It kind of is funny to me. Uh, There's no reference even to him. But Mordecai is teaching Esther and he instructs her that there is a purpose in your life, Esther. You are put here for a reason. And so this is this idea. And what was it that Esther was to do? Well, she was supposed to go and speak on the behalf of the Jews to the king. You didn't do that. In fact, in the story of Esther, when she walks into the throne room, she is fully expecting to die as she walks in there. That would probably put a description change on being the queen, wouldn't it? I mean, most of us get the idea of the queen. Well, the queen can just walk in any time she walks and talk to the king. Well, not Esther. She fully expected to die when she approached him. Because changing his mind and and giving out the decree that that the king would need to give out there uh, was a significant thing in that particular empire. So we see this picture of this high and lifted up throne. Isaiah, though, is not talking about a human throne that was unapproachable. He is talking about, in particular, the throne of God who sits on the seat of the universe. He sits high above us. He sits as a lifted up being. He sits as someone on a throne that is unapproachable and unimaginable by any of us. Ezekiel struggled in describing God and His holiness. 
He struggled in describing God and His true glory. When you read the book of Ezekiel and you read that wheel within the wheel and the eyes are ever present, uh, Ezekiel could not, even with the help of the Holy Spirit, fully grasp God's holiness. And yet you and I, when we read our Bible or we see a passage of Scripture about God's holiness, we treat it as casual. It doesn't affect us. Well, God's holiness is just on my level. No, it's not. God's position of holiness is far above ours. It is vastly superior to ours and to our even our thinking and our logic. God's holiness is separate. And for you and I to bring God and His holiness to our level, we are doing a disservice. In fact, we are acting as the heathen. In our salvation, after our salvation, you and I need to understand that God is separated from this world. He stands apart from it. Isaiah says He is high... And lift it up. Psalm 47 and verse 8. The psalmist writes, God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. He said, that is what it is that couches God. It is His key attribute. Without holiness, God is not God. Without perfection, without a sinless nature, without the ability to sin, He's not God. In His holiness, He is protected from sin. The holiness of God is unreachable. It is truly unfathomable for human beings. Isaiah, as I said, and Ezekiel struggled when they attempt to physically describe an indescribable holiness of God. It is from this unspotted, unstained position that God in His holiness observes you. Is it any wonder why then that the righteousnesses of man are as filthy rags in His eyes? You see, when God looks at us from that perspective of holiness, sin is a detestable thing. The whitest of smallest white lies uh, is still a detestable, uh, despicable thing in His eyes because sin is not named among Him. He is so far removed from it, he uh, He cannot stand it, He cannot look upon it. And so we must understand that His position is high and lifted up. It's above our own. But letter B, uh, His position of holiness is unchanging. His position of of holiness is unchanging. God, as we know from scriptures, is an unchanging God. Theologians call this uh, the immutability of God. Uh, It's one of the five attributes that cannot be shared by mankind. Oh, we can share His love and we can share His joy, uh, though not to the perfections that He experiences and that He uh, has. We can share those. Uh, The non-communicable attributes of God, though, immutability is one of the five. You and I are changing beings. Thank goodness for that. Uh, Because we were sinners bound for hell, but because of salvation we have changed, we have repented, we have turned from our sins, and now we are bound for heaven. Thank goodness that we are not immutable. But also thank goodness that He is. That He is an unchanging God. It is a necessary and comforting thought For believers to understand that our God is unchanging. God and all of His attributes is the same as the Scriptures say, yesterday, today, and forever. We are told that in the Scriptures that He is the Alpha and the Omega. From the beginning to the end, He has always been and always will be the same God. You say, well, how does that help me in understanding His holiness? If His standard of holiness never changes, then we have something that we can latch on to. We have something that we can point towards. We have something that we can grow into. If the state, excuse me, if the standard of God's holiness was changing, good luck to us all. Uh, I, I remember as a child when I used to go swimming, we used to go out to a pond, a, a 
guess it was more like a lake. It was a small lake. Uh, and there would be a floating dock out in the middle. And I'll never forget, the first person that would get to that dock would always go on the other end and take the rope and just swim kind of backwards and pull that dock a little bit further along. So the person that was swimming to it, oh, oh, Mikey would not have been happy with us, but, but you know, just, oh, oh, I'm never going to make it there. And, and the destination of where we were swimming to would always change. It would increasingly get further and further away. Thank goodness the holiness of God, though we'll never attain it on this earth, is unchanging. His holiness, God in His person, is immutable. God told the prophet, uh, I am the Lord, I change not. James told us the good gifts that, that the good gifts that will come down from our Father, they come from our Father in whom He finishes that verse in James 1.17 by saying, There is no variableness nor shadow of turning. You should take great solace, great comfort in the fact that God Almighty in His holy nature is unchanging. It's not a standard of holiness today that is this way, and then tomorrow on a whim He changes. How difficult a God that would be to serve. But because of His holiness, He has given us a standard. He has given us a standard bearer, the Word of God. And so we can come and we can find out about God and we can find out who He is. We can find out what it is He expects of us. The position of God's holiness. It's above our own and it's unchanging. Thank God that He has made it that way. But secondly, the presence of God's holiness. Our holy God has a presence in our life. And there is a presence of His holiness as we see it in Scriptures. In fact, it's a wonderful weaving uh, throughout the whole of Scriptures. If you start in the beginning and go to the end, this idea of fire. Letter A, as he is, uh, his, the presence of God's holiness is as a burning fire. As a burning fire. God appeared as fire in the burning bush. It was required in the burnt offerings that they burn the offering through a consuming fire. It was at Mount Sinai that Moses uh, uh, met the Lord in a burning bush that was on fire. It was at Mount Carmel where God brought down fire upon the sacrifice that Elijah made there in front of the 400 some prophets of Baal that, he, that were there. Uh, it was fire that we see here in Isaiah's vision as in our original text. Ezekiel himself saw the fire of God's holiness that was there. God's holiness throughout scriptures is presented to us as a burning fire. Why? Why? Again, we don't want to take these things and think of them as we mentioned in our silly joke this morning, in the abstract. We want to think of them in the practical. Why would God practically represent His holiness as a consuming or a burning fire? Because it burns away the impurities. Fire burns away the dross that is there. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 say, Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. He said, listen, because of the salvation we have, because of the position we have in Jesus Christ within the family of God, the inheritance that is going to be ours of the kingdom someday, he said, you and I ought to serve God acceptably. That means we have been held to a standard. He said we also need to serve with reverence and godly fear because, verse 29 in Hebrews chapter 12, our God is a consuming fire. Now that could be preached, and I've heard it preached in many different ways. Certainly, if God's in us, we ought to be a rip-snorting kind of a Christian. We ought to be excited. We ought to be consumed with Him. But really, the context of this is that God burns away sinful dross in your life. Throughout the entirety of scriptures, if you watch it and weave it all the way through, there is a burning up of sin. 
So we think of God's holiness as something that ought to pervade your life so it burns up sin. But you see, what happens is we don't take the holiness of God into our life. We don't understand exactly who He is. We forget what His position is or we were never taught it in the first place. Therefore, the holiness of God becomes a casual aspect of our life. Well, I know I ought not be doing that. Boy, I, you know, I, I probably shouldn't be involved in this activity. Man, you know, I, I probably... No! If we truly understand who God is and His holiness in our life, it will consume us to the point that we'll eliminate sin. It will consume it. It will burn it. And so he represents himself, he presents himself throughout all of Scripture as a consuming fire. God's holiness is a fire to purge the sins of mankind. It is the fire of holiness that will consume our works at the Bema Seat of Christ. But we're told in 1 Corinthians that when we get to that day, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, when we get to that day, uh, we will bring and present our works to Jesus Christ. And what does he say? He said they will be tried by fire. Some will be gold, silver, precious stone, and what is the rest? It will be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. God says there are things in your life, there are things in my life, that at that Bema seat, at that reward seat of Jesus Christ, for the race that we've run here below, when we receive our crowns, when we judge our works, they will be judged by His holy standard at consuming fire. See, it motivates us. When we know God's holiness, it changes us. It makes us different people. The presence of God's holiness in the Scriptures is as a burning fire, but let her be, it is as a bright light. It is as a bright light. I'm going to have you turn to two passages. Keep your finger here because we will be back. And by the way... uh, Sometimes I get preaching, I even miss my own notes here. <laughs> Certainly, uh, uh, we see the holiness of God resembling that fire. In fact, in Isaiah, before you turn, uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible says the house was filled with the smoke. We can still see the fire is smoldering. God's holiness is ever-present where He is. There is never a time that... God is not there, that His holy standard and the holiness of God is there. Think about that the next time you go and watch something you ought not watch. Jesus Christ is right there. The holiness of God is right there with you. Uh, Think about that the next time you say something you ought not do. The holiness of God is right there. Think about that the next time you're you're considering cheating at work or or, or on a test or or in some kind of aspect in your life uh, or maybe even on a spouse. The next time you entertain that sin, God's there. He's the consuming fire. Let Him burn away the dross of sin. Let Him burn away the and purge those things that ought not be there. Alright, your, keep your finger here. Turn over to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. We're going to look at a passage where Moses is presented by a bright light. The bright light of God's holiness. In fact, uh, it is so bright that, it, that the rest of the congregation of the children of Israel struggle with it. Exodus 33, and start reading with me in verse 18. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Here's Moses asking God. Boy, what a, what a bold statement. Would to God that every single person in here would hit their knees tomorrow morning and say, God, just show me your glory today. Show me thy presence. Show me thy holiness, your glory. Show it to me. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me 
and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I, while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. The picture literally is this. He was going to take Moses, and he was going to tuck him in the cliff. He was going to hide his face there, and he was telling Moses, literally, you bury your nose, son, into that corner. You keep your face hidden, and I'm going to let my glory, my holiness, my presence pass by you. And when I'm past you, you can look as I walk away. God said, because you can't stand. Mankind cannot look upon the pure, holy nature of God and live. That's what he told them. It kind of brings a different perspective, doesn't it, on the holiness of God. It's not so casual at that point. That Moses, one of the greatest, uh, I would say, believers, followers of Christ that has ever lived. In fact, we're going to see in a moment, he was at the transfiguration. He and Elijah were the two that God deemed worthy enough to stand side by side with the Son of God. He, Moses, was not allowed to take his nose out of that nook until God's holiness passed far enough away. So what was the result of God's holiness passing by uh, that day? Well, certainly we understand uh, that as Moses there was standing before the people, and you would have to go forward to the, uh, in, in, um, uh, in verse 34, or chapter 34, we see that Moses comes down off the mountain after he's gotten the law for the second time, and literally every time he came out to speak to Aaron and to the rest of them, he would speak to them, and the people said, Ah! Kind of like me looking right back here right now because it's so shiny and so bright coming in. It must be your old personality, Vada. But it's so bright coming in those doors right now. It, but literally, it was so bright, not because of the sun, not because of a spotlight or a fire or anything else, but because of Moses' face literally shining. Now, I have had some sunburns in my day. Uh, Jessica gets mad at me because I get sunburned and within a day or two I'll be tan and she hates that. Uh, I remember one year my parents and, I, and my sister and I, we went on vacation when I was a teenager to Florida. My mom fell asleep outside uh, sitting on the lawn chair and she got so burned on her face and on her arms and on the top of her neck that she was literally sick from it. She had blisters. It was terrible. Oh, my mom's always been careful since then. I've seen people get really bad sunburns. But I have never seen somebody that has gotten so much sunlight that they came in and I said, Whoa, you're hurting my eyes. You're so bright. Have you? Of course we haven't. Moses, because he was in the presence of God and the brightness of his glory shone so greatly upon the face of Moses, even as he walked away from the shoulder blade of God, from the elbow of God, from the backside of God, the creator of the universe. His holiness was so bright, Moses' face shone with that glory. So much so that the people said, Moses, you got to put a veil over your face. It's interesting, by the way, that when he would come before the children of Israel, he had to put a veil over his face. But when he went back to God, what did he do in chapter 34? He took that veil off. He wanted to soak in the full glory of God, the full holiness of God. You see, Moses understood that he served a holy God. It'll change you, folks. It'll change how you think and what you do. Go with me now over to Matthew chapter 17. It's not just in the Old Testament that we find the brightness of God's glory in His holiness. But we find it in Matthew chapter 17 as well. It's the mount, uh, it's there on the mount as, as the transfiguration takes place. We see in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into the high mountain apart. 
and was transfigured before them. And his face did what? Shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. And by the way, it's very interesting when you get this picture. Uh, literally, Jesus walked up on the mount. I get the idea from this reading, and, and as you'll, you'll see the rest of the verses, that Peter, James, and John, as was their custom, probably followed a couple steps behind. And that literally, as Jesus approached the pinnacle of the mountain, his face literally started to beam. Just to radiate light, like the sun, like pure light. That's what that phrase there, um, where it says, was white as the light. It was a pure white beam of light coming out of our Lord Jesus. And and there are some, especially non-believers, that would look at this passage and say, Well, that's nutty. You believe that? Absolutely, I believe that. Why? Because God's glory was now being fully manifested upon the fleshly body of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It was so much, the holiness was so much, that literally the skin cells could not contain it, so they burst forth in light. The brightness of His glory. God's holiness is different, folks. Verse 3, And behold, there appeared unto him Moses. By the way, Moses, I think you're one billion or two billion, maybe I, I, I certainly won't grow tired of thanking God for all that He's done for me. But if I'm allowed to walk around heaven and ask people, I might ask Moses, if, you know, it'd probably be a pretty long line, too, to ask him questions. I'd love to just sit down and ask Moses, you know, you were a part of a lot of really amazing things. And here Moses appears with Jesus Christ and with Elijah there on the mountain. The Bible says Elijah talking with him. What were they talking about? I don't know. I told you these Israelites are real tough people. Moses there in heaven, I told you it was going to be tough. Of course, Jesus being God would know that. I don't know what they talked about. We're not told. But what a wonderful thought here. We have Moses, we have Elijah that is there with him. Then Peter answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Well, that's probably the understatement of the Bible right there. It's good that we're here. Really? Of course it's good for you to be there, Peter. Fantastic. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one of thee and one of Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. By the way, isn't it amazing that to this point in the story they weren't falling on their face? It's because they had understood the miracle-working nature of Jesus Christ here on this earth. Uh, They had understood all the fantastic events that they had seen happen. So to see Him burst forth into a bright light and radiate the, the whiteness of light out of Him apparently wasn't that much different. But to see a bright cloud in the sky overshadowing and saying, This is my Son, they understood that to be Jehovah God. Jesus Christ is part of the Godhead as well, part of the three persons of the Godhead. But now they are seeing... God the Father speaking to them. And so they fall down and worship. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, save Jesus only. Jesus Christ and His holiness was shown as a bright light. God's holiness is a bright light. Why? Because it's pure. Darkness is really, uh, or a dark light or a black light, is the combination of all colors. A white light is the removal of all. And so we see that there is purity to it. It would be wise for each of us to allow the holiness of God through His Word to shine into our lives and to expose the sin and darkness that remains in our life. What is it that God's holiness needs to reveal in your life tonight? 
What areas are you struggling with? Because God's presence, His holiness, the presence of His holiness in Scriptures teach us a lot about it. It's a consuming fire, and it's a bright light to purge away any sins that might be there. But finally tonight, it's not just the presence, and it's not just the position, but it's also the purpose of God's holiness. Go back with me to Isaiah chapter 6. The purpose of God's holiness. We see in Isaiah chapter 6 that in verse 5 down through verse 7, Isaiah continues this idea and he talks more about his uncleanness. And he talks more about his shortcomings. He talks so much more about how woefully bad he is. You see, the purpose of God's holiness is to teach us. It's not just for Him to say, well, this is how much better I am than you. Rather, it's for Him to instruct us with and to lead us with. He says in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo! This hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. The fire of God is His holiness. The seraphim here, in a real sense, brings a live coal, puts it on the lips of Isaiah the prophet, thus cleansing through God's holiness the sins that were in the messenger. So the message that Isaiah would be presenting is now pure. The message that is being spoken forth has now been changed, not from my sinfulness, not from man's sinfulness, but rather into God's holiness. We see a wonderful picture of salvation here, by the way. It is through the holiness of God and His working that He changes folks. And that brings us to letter A. God's holiness, the purpose of it, is to change believers. It changes us. When we really understand who He is and His holy standard and His holy nature, it changes us. 1 John 3, 3 says this, And every man that hath this hope, speaking of salvation, in him purifieth himself, even as he, speaking of God, is pure. So John here says, listen, when salvation is in your life, you're going to want to continually purify yourself. How terrible it is for so many religions today to say, listen, you can come just as you are, and I believe that. You have to come to Jesus just as you are. But many religions today say once you come as you are, you can stay as you are. Well, that's not in the Bible at all. But there's nothing like that that's ever taught. When I come to Jesus Christ in salvation, a day later I should be different. A month later I should be even more different. A year later I should be different. A lifetime later I should be vastly different. So many people will come to Jesus Christ and year 10 of their salvation is no different than year one. Why? Because they haven't let the holiness of God purify them or change them. Knowing God's holiness changes who we are. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about. That's why the Bible says there, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. What are the next words? Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. You and I, understanding the holiness of God, can renew ourselves every day. God, listen, I've come short. I know your position is high and lifted up. Thank goodness you're an unchanging God. I understand that your presence is a burning fire, a bright light to show me my sin. Show me my sin today. And ask God to forgive you of the ones that are exposed through His Word and through your prayers. 
That's how we understand and move forward in our Christian life. To be changed. To be different. But it doesn't just change believers. Letter B, it condemns the world. It condemns the world. And you say, wait a second. Ha! I got you, Pastor. John 3 says that Jesus came not to condemn the world. We'll get to that verse. Because the next verse speaks about it. Habakkuk 1, verses 12 and 13 say this, though. Habakkuk, certainly a prophet during difficult times, said, Art thou not everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. Notice these next words. O Lord, thou hast ordained them, the wicked, for judgment. And Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art pure, excuse me, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Boy, what a painted picture of Jesus, or of, of God Almighty there. What a beautiful picture that is painted. He says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. The prophet is literally saying, God, your eyes can't stand evil. They don't conceive evil. Uh, They see it in mankind, but it is foreign to you. Evil is not within uh, your capabilities and canst not look on iniquity. He continues and finishes this way in verse 13 of Habakkuk 1. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? You see, God sees the wickedness that is going on here in this earth. And His holiness, the standard and the perfection in which He is holy, condemns the world of sin. That's how they know that they're lost and in their sin. It is God's holiness that separates man and God. It is our sin that has done that, but it is His holy standard that draws the divide. But thankfully, salvation allows God not to violate His holiness, but to properly deal with sin. That's the justification that comes. He is now justifying His holiness and the sinful condition of man. They can be justified. They can be put in a harmonious uh, uh, conversation one with the other. How can a sinful man be in a conversation with a holy God? The answer is Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of John chapter 3. We'll skip verse 16, which we all know. But verse 17 says this, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. You see, God's holiness demands that the world be condemned. It's sinful. But He said He sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. But that, he, but that the world through Him might be saved. Verse 18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Notice the next part. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God says right there, Jesus Christ himself, from his own mouth, says, Listen, the world is already condemned. They're already not believing. But those of us who put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we are not condemned. He said, Jesus Christ said, I'm not coming into this world to condemn it. I'm coming here to save it. I'm coming here to justify sinful man to a holy God. It is only through me. What a wonderful thought. You see, the holiness of God is what is the demand. It's the standard. It's the need for Calvary. It's the holiness of God. Today, the world, the sin, and the flesh infiltrate the church, the church house, the families within this church. God's holiness is compromised within these kind of churches. Uh, Maybe for growth, maybe for acceptance, maybe for leisure, maybe for enjoyment. We compromise the holiness of God. The closer, though, we become to God, the more that we learn about His holiness, the more holy we can become. The more separated from the world we are, the more God will bless us individually and corporately as a church. You see, if we are a church body, if we are a group of believers that individually say, well, you know, the holiness of God's not that important to me. 
I can watch this. I can listen to that. I can uh, view this. I can talk this way. I can act this way. I can do this at work. I can treat my spouse this way. I can treat my kids that way. I can deal with my parents in such a fashion. I can dishonor my government. When we take holiness into our hands and justify and rationalize it, we're never growing closer to God. When we truly understand the position of God, when we understand the presence of God in the Bible and His holiness, and when we understand the purpose of God's holiness, it will make us a different people. So tonight, in closing, how has the holiness of God changed you? Well, (laughs) Pastor, I'm glad you're not making us answer that one out loud. Uh, uh, And I'm glad I don't have to answer it out loud. But how has the holiness of God changed you? Maybe this week what you ought to do is read Isaiah chapter 6 a couple times until you truly get the concept of who you are in God's eyes. Maybe a better question tonight instead of how has the holiness of God changed you would be this. Where have you devalued God's holiness in your life? Where have you brought His holy standard down to your acceptable level and said, well, this is all God wants of me? Because that is even more condemning than the first question. Well, I, I let it slip in this way. Well, I let it, I let it go in that area. Or, and I can certainly go and name specifics, but then I may not name yours. I'll let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Simply put, where have I devalued God's holiness in my life? Where have I excused it away? Because God forbid we live as Christians much longer, not understanding the holiness of God and not letting God's holiness change us.